My first guest with me today is Mike Newton from Newton Ross. Mike's been a uh, financial advisor since uh, 2003. He's also got a background in institutional uh, funds management and the funds management side. Welcome, Mike, and th- thanks for spending the time with us on, on our show today. Thanks, Rob. Um, Tommy, um, the working group which has been set up to um, set out the new rules for financial advisors going mm-hmm. forward, what's your take on the makeup of the group? Uh, look, I think it's uh, I think it's very strong in some areas, but I think there's a couple of glaring weaknesses in there. So I guess there's two aspects. One is that the obviously the new working group is looking at a, the application of the existing code to all people providing regulated retail advice, mm. financial advice. So it's encompassing a much wider spectrum than the old one. So because it's just covering mortgages, insurance, insurance, as well as the investment side. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, whereas the old code was really just around uh, regulating authorised mm. financial advisors. So conceptually I think it's a great idea and so I'm all for it uh, and, I, and I certainly think it's, it's needed. But when you look at the terms of reference uh, for the working committee or working group, it covers some of the key things in there are, are trying to differentiate around the different types of advice. So you know, what's advice, what's product, mm. what's service um, and you know, and I th- the biggest problem there is that the, the working group committee members really don't reflect the skill set that's required to deal with some of those issues. So there's no, of the makeup of the group, there's no practical experience in terms of people doing face-to-face advice in there, is there? Well, that's right. I mean, it's, it's obviously about regulating advice or setting up a code around advice. Yeah. There's no actual financial advisors But how can, how can these guys set up a code when they don't actually know what people are doing in their day-to-day business? Well, I think some of them have very strong industry knowledge around product manufacturing mm-hmm. and distribution knowledge. And uh, you know, clearly people like Paul Mersey have you know, a lot of expertise mm. around taxation and, and sort of manufacturing of product mm. information. But in terms of actual experience around delivering advice to retail investors, or I just don't see anybody there that can actually do that. So, so do you think they'll actually be able to develop a code which is going to be workable for advisors? Well, I, they, they will probably develop a code, but whether it's practical is a, is a completely different issue. I mean, they can obviously go out there and obtain information, information and engage uh, financial advisors out there, but there's no one on the committee that's actually ever really practised. I mean, one person there is an AFA and I understand is practised overseas, but has no application for yeah. practising inside New Zealand. I think the other aspect of it, Phil, is that, um, and the thing that I find most extraordinary, is that there is no independent Mm. financial advisor represented on the committee, they are all product manufacturers. Yeah. So every single one of those organisations that's a fund manager on there or a bank or an insurance company, they they manufacture and sell yeah. product. So is this, this, is this more of a push to this big end of town taking control of the advice world? Well, when you read it, it certainly is. And when you look at the, I guess, response, industry response, yeah. uh, it looks very much as if the institutions have captured then into the market. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're basically controlling so, the regulations. So how worried should guys, you know, you guys are independent, you're AFAs, you're very clear on what you do. How worried should, you know, that part of town be about where this is going? Um, we are very concerned. Mm. I mean, I, the fact that you actually don't have a, an advice practitioner on a working mm. group that's actually setting standards yeah. and competency levels and training levels for advisors uh, and defining what advice is, I think is extraordinary. Yeah. So what should advice, how, how should you know, the industry be looking at tackling this, you know, the independent guys? Can, can they still have a say, do you think? Or Well, I mean, the, you, obviously we're allowed to make submissions yeah. and, the, and the group are obviously you know, capable of coming and talking to mm. us about our thoughts and views. So that's all very positive. 
but not to have someone sitting there and, and actually representing the independent advice part of yeah. the market and debating those issues and providing the sort of contention that's needed mm. in a working group like that, I just find extraordinary. Yeah. It's also extraordinary, isn't it, that you've got this whole new group and there's only one person from the existing code committee there, so there's no continuity. And I can understand that you know there's a wider terms of reference, and, but yeah. really those people had the experience of trying to develop a framework previously, why wouldn't you try and bring more of that expertise along with yeah. you? It I, seems I to be know. like, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater sort of well, thing. Well, I, I, I would have thought we would have seen greater representation or yeah. continuation of members. Yeah. I mean, we have one, which is good, but yeah. it would be nice to have a lot more. But that, that one person is from an institutional background and... Again, there's yeah. no, there's no yeah. practising uh, authorised financial advisors or there's just no independent yeah. advisors on and, 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 and so the other issue is this whole issue around the separation between sales and advice and, and how, how they deal with that. And, and now that you're, that you're going to have all these different um, products in their insurance and mortgages and stuff, yeah. that's going to be a pretty big issue for the committee, isn't it? Well, continuing point of confusion for the whole industry and for the regulators and the FMA is the mm -hmm. difference between what is service, what is product, yeah. um, and you know, what, are, what is advice. Mm. And what we're seeing at the moment is a, a committee that's represented by product manufacturers yeah. that do have industry experience. So, you know, they are selling their products to their clients mm. or mm. they have, they're not independent. Yeah. So uh, there's no independent advice yeah. provider yeah. actually yeah. on the committee. Look, it's yeah. quite a worry. Um, I, and, and, and I guess it means that people like you are going to be spending much more time doing more submissions to another, another group around regulation of our industry. And look, we're passionate about it. You know, we, we try and make submissions on, on you know, every new change. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's important that we do. But again, because we're a smaller organisation, you know, we only comprise eight people. How yeah. do we how do we afford the time and the energy and the expertise yeah. to, to actually have a say? Yeah. And so it's a lot easier for, uh, you know, the regulators, if you like, to, to go to the big end of town because yeah. they can make their people more yeah. easily available. Yeah. So, so, so there's nine members on the working group. They can go up to eleven. Uh, if they did that, who should they put on there? Oh, they should definitely put on some some practitioners. I think they should put on two independent financial advisors, mm -hmm. and at least one of those should be a certified mm -hmm. financial planner. If you're a CFP, you represent the sort of global recognition or pinnacle of being a, an advisor. That yeah. They set the standards in terms of competency, training, and ongoing education. Mm -hmm. So they they already do that and live that. Mm. So why on earth wouldn't you have an independent advisor yeah. that's also a certified financial planner represented on the committee? It just doesn't make sense. It's a bit of a no-brainer, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it feels to me like this is a bit of a club for the big end of town. You know, how worried should people be about that? Oh, I mean, that's, that's obviously a conclusion you can just draw by looking at the membership. Yeah. I mean, they're all, most of them are product manufacturers. You've got two consumer representatives and a couple of other people have got some association background and, in, mm, and mm. associated industry background, yeah. but the rest are all product manufacturers. Yeah, but it's but scary, yeah. Oh, it is, I think it's scary. I, I think it's there's a real risk that we miss an opportunity to really provide a sensible framework for advice in New Zealand, uh, and it's going to be very much driven by the manufacturers, and I think that's a poor outcome. Mm. Look, Mike, thanks very much for joining us on this episode of uh, Good Returns TV, and uh, thank you very much for making the time to come along today. No, that's, that's fine. Thanks, yeah. Phil. Cheers. Excellent. Thank you. My next guest is Warren Kuyo from um, Hobson Wealth Partners. Um, like. Thanks for joining us, Warren. Do you want to just tell everyone who Hobson Wealth is? Sure. Hobson Wealth Partners is the former Macquarie Private Wealth in New Zealand. 
and I led a buy-in uh, along with around about 25 of the key members of the business last year and purchased the business off Macquarie Group. Yeah, and how many advisors? Around about 30. Yeah, so reasonable size and you'd have a reasonable FUM? Uh, around about $2 billion of assets in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch uh, advisors and a total team of around about 60. Yeah. So, so today we're going to talk about you know um, the cost of advice and how do we, how do we get more people to to get advice and, and you know you've been in this business now for a while um, and you're seeing more and more examples of that it's getting more difficult to get advice to consumers. What's your take on on this issue at the moment? Advice and financial services is is extremely important and not everybody knows that they need it. Um, it's expensive to deliver the advice for lots of reasons. It's expensive to hire good people, mm -hmm. uh, research people, advisors. Um, the cost of doing business is high and increasing from a regulatory point of view, from a systems point of view, from a compliance point of view. Um, and there's fee pressure in the industry, so yeah. the, the revenue to pay for delivering that advice is always under pressure. So uh, the challenge in the industry is to make sure that um, us as service providers can deliver the service that the consumers need and want and, uh, and, and grapple with the challenges or deliver um, that service um, in an in a environment where there are challenges um, from a consumer point of view as well. Do you think people know where to go to get advice? I think uh, the, the larger investor or the person or the entity with larger sums of money does have access to, ready access to advice. But it's, but it's more that middle market where we're Mid Middle and low is a bit tougher yeah. um, because if you, if you don't have um, a significant asset base to invest, it's difficult to pay for the advice, um, suppliers might not necessarily want to offer their advice yeah. to you. Are you seeing examples of people turning away from advice because it's too expensive? Yes. What do we do about it? Um, we need to, there's sort of three or four different ways of addressing that problem. One, education, that, that old chestnut mm. in the industry to make sure that people, consumers, investors, people with assets do know that uh, they do need advice. So whose role is that though? Uh, it's the regulators. It's the, it's, um, but the regulators it's, don't do anything about it. No, it's not, not now, but they overall probably ought to. Um, given that it's an um, imposition, not an imposition, it's increasing regulation in the industry mm. that is part of the increasing cost of delivering the service. It's up to us in the industry as well to provide yeah. um, education to consumers, to our customers. Is there a role for government? Uh, there probably is, um, particularly given the, um, the, the, growing, uh, the growth in KiwiSaver mm. yeah. and the fact there's now nearly 3 million Kiwi savers and like um, forty billion dollars, forty billion of assets and growing in yeah. the industry. So it means that, that a lot of people have a long-term savings yeah. uh, retirement savings plan now and should know that they might need to get advice on that um, asset at some stage. But that's a, that's a massive concern, and, and particularly when we're going into this this part of the market cycle where things are starting to change. So someone said to me, an advisor said that they'd done a survey of their clients and they'd be willing to pay $125 for advice for KiwiSaver. Is that doable? Um, the average KiwiSaver balance from memory is around about $13,000. Mm. Um, so I would have thought... Um, you know, $125 would be a minimum. Mm. Um, it's, it's doable, it's tight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the revenue that comes off um, that managers have to charge to look after that money is, is under pressure, mm. is low. Um, and, so, you know, that is the dilemma that the yeah. industry faces. How does someone with a $13,000 asset, um, notwithstanding that it's growing, pay or get access to the yeah. advice they need? 
the industry, the, the KiwiSaver, um, the KiwiSaver schemes have too many investors in conservative and/or default mm. um, uh, allocations, and that is the that is the thorny issue. That's a massive issue. Yeah, uh, the, uh, uh, can you quantify, and it's probably not in dollar terms, but sort of more percentage terms. You know how much it's risen to provide advice to people, the cost of advice. Uh, on a standalone basis, I would have, I'd estimate, uh, you know, 50, 50 to one hundred percent increase in cost in the last five or six years. That's so huge. Quite a lot. Yeah. So yeah. scale in businesses uh, are, is increasingly important, so that the cost cost of the the, the um, advice delivery is spread over a larger client base. Do we have an issue? You know, we've got more and more regulations coming on advice in the financial sector. Is, is there an issue that? We're over-regulating it, and or the regulation isn't smart enough. And you know, a great example is you know the AML requirements for KiwiSaver. Have we got the mix right there? I think it's it's improving. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the regulation, the regulatory framework changed a few years ago, and it came in um, with some. You know, it was unknown to the sector, mm. um, and the the implications and consequences were unknown. But uh, there's been reviews, there's continuing yeah. to be reviews, and we do see improvements, and I think that'll continue over time. So, so, so they're heading in the right direction? I think so, yeah. I think so yeah. overall. Yeah. But these things are slow and take time, and, and there's issues now to deal with. Yeah, and, and this whole rising cost of advice thing is going to drive this, this growth of this robo-advice industry. What are your views around that? Where does it fit in? I think it'll most definitely be a big part of the sector in a number of years' time, and I don't know what that number is, yeah. a low number or a high number. Um, but it will be a big part of the Plus sector. The space you'd plan? I think so, because if, you, if you're looking at ways of getting uh, advice uh, across to um, a larger client, you know, a wider range of investors, mm. you have to look at all the different ways of getting that advice across there. Um, you know, back in, in the not too distant future, everyone used to go into a bank branch yeah. to take out cash yeah. for the weekend. Yeah. Now it's, it's either online or, or you know, automatic payments. So. Yeah. I think the, the, the different ways of doing things uh, must include um, sort of automated delivery in our sector. Mm. So that will be a big part of the industry? Yes. yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Just, and you know, just finally, just to change topics a little bit, you've mm. got quite a, a background in investment management. I think you, you were the CIO at Fisher Funds yes. and a few other roles you've had. Just, you know, it's really interesting at the moment. We're seeing, um, it seems to me like we're at a turning point in the markets. You're starting to see a lot of different dialogue coming out of central banks and, and asset prices seem to be um, pretty, pretty inflated at the moment or, 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 or rich. What, what's, yes. your, what's your take on the market? So most definitely, um, the world has been pumped up with easy money in the mm. last seven or eight years, um, and that, that won't last forever. We've got I asset prices. We can price, see the end, can't we? The end is, end is yeah. nigh, maybe. Um, but asset prices in, in kind of every asset class that you look at are historically high mm. uh, because of the weight of that money. Uh, so what that means is that the, the need for advice for a client, uh, for an investor, uh, is all the more important mm. Uh, mm. because asset allocation. Being aware of, um, of of asset pricing or mispricing in mm. some cases is increasingly mm. important. Mm. Mm. And your message to advisors and investors around what they should be thinking about now? Our asset allocation is the, is the number one. Okay. Um, which asset classes to follow, which asset classes to be weighted in properly. Mm. Um, fixed income around the world is pretty high. Um, equities are pretty high. Real estate's pretty high. Okay. Um, you know, so, so look at the combination of assets that you've got. Mm. And I think um, you know, look, looking at, at solid you know, and equities in particular that can generate their own 
growth mm -hmm. rather than um, relying on returns from asset price increases mm -hmm. will be um, you know, a pretty good place yeah. to be. Look, it's going to be a pretty interesting time in the markets, uh, yeah. you know, basically from now on from what I can see. Yeah. We've had a good run for a long time, particularly, especially in New Zealand, and uh, you know, that always breeds a need for more caution. Do people need to dial back their return expectations? Yes. Yeah. Have them from what they've been in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. So as a rough estimate. Uh, look, you know, um, others are saying the same thing, but it's you know, I think people just have to be realistic about what future returns are likely totally. to be. Yeah. Look, thank you very much for your time, thank Warren. You. It's been great having you on the show. Great. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, the third and final piece of uh, Good Returns TV this time around is an, is an interview we did with Paul Moore from PM Capital. Paul was out from uh, Australia last month and he talked about his concept to investing and it's based on the movie called The Moneyball, which I hadn't seen, but it's really interesting. Paul, you're out here uh, doing a little roadshow around New Zealand and, and you're uh, basing your presentation on The Moneyball movie. Can you tell me what that's about? Yeah, I mean, Moneyball's a story of the Oakland A's and... Um they were a team that went on to have the longest winning streak uh, in American League Baseball. So it's really just uh, highlighting how they went about that. And the reality is they were a small ball club, they had a limited budget. So they had to think and act differently from other ball clubs. Uh, and they basically had to find the mispriced ball players, in other words, the anomalies. And that's pretty much what we do in the investment world. You know, if you want to be a successful investor, you have to be doing something that others are not. And so it's really uh, taking advantage of, of, I guess, people's focus on short-term and, and other factors that produce these genuine long-term anomalies. And that's how we believe you can really add value over the longer term. And so do you think PM Capital is a little bit like the, the, the baseball team in, in terms of being uh, different? The, yeah, the it was really more about just highlighting that you have to think differently um, yeah, and the patience and convictions that are required because prior to that 20-game winning streak, they had quite a few losses and people had given up on them. And one of the points we make in our presentation is that, um, you know, the reason you need patience and conviction in this game is because if you actually go back and look at every great investment you make over time, at the time of purchase, they're always questioned and sometimes ridiculed. Um, and there's an interesting clip in the film where it basically is that point just before they start winning, where basically everyone's given up on them and there's one person in the stand hiding uh, with this sign saying, we're still proud of you. So <laughs> there, was, there was one person left and then they went on and, and became uh, the famous name. And, and, and they, I think from memory, they, won, they nearly won the league or something? They did. They didn't quite get all the way, but uh, they did create a record winning streak. Um, I think that's a bit like funds management. You should aim to be in that top quartile rather than being number one all the time, is it? True, and, and to be honest, we, it's not even a question of aiming to be in the top quartile. All we try to do is go out in there and find investments that meet our criteria. So, so how do you find, you know, in this current market, and that's a pretty interesting market at the moment with all the changes going on, what are the sorts of things you're looking for? Look, it's a little bit harder at the moment because, you know, most of our investments have been made over the last seven or eight years, and they're anywhere from like halfway through their investment cycle to three quarters of their way through their investment cycle. So we're really kind of sitting on our current investments and letting them play out. And then we're looking for what we think might appear in the future. And the one thing that we need to be really conscious of in terms of looking for opportunities is the fact that I think long-term government bond rates have bottomed. 
And so over the next you know, three to five years, if there's upward pressure there, it will put uh, certain businesses uh, that have benefited from those lower rates in a, in a more difficult position. So we want to avoid those and really look for opportunities where they can grow their earnings, companies that can grow their earnings. So short term, yeah, the market's done well. So the reality is it's more a question of, you know, let's try and work out what will occur over the next you know, 18 months, to, uh, two years and see what sort of opportunities might be present. So do you have any you know, ideas for how you think it might pan out in the next few years? Look, I still think uh, that the markets, uh, as I said, I think it's like three quarters, somewhere in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. So I still think we have the full earnings cycle to come through. People are still underestimating the ability of the US economy to continue on and Europe is recovering a lot stronger than most people realise. Um, and I think until that earnings cycle is played out and you get a re-rating in those stocks that benefit from that, you're really not going to come to the end of the, of the market cycle. I know a lot of people are very nervous at the moment, but I don't think you've got that euphoria that you typically get with a top in the market. So as I say, I still think over the next 18 months, two years, we can get you know, acceptable returns. And then we're going to have to think hard because by then, you know, if the economies continue to tighten, I mean, unemployment's 4.5% in the US. Um, yeah, we might start getting a bit more entrenched inflation and that's when you might get the interest rate starting to genuinely uh, pick up all the risk of it and markets might adjust on the back of that. Now, and on another topic, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a big um, flow of money going into passive funds at the moment. Tell me, how do you think that's going to play out for active managers? Well, it's interesting because um, passive dominates flows at the moment and it dominates free flow. And the interesting point that no one seems to have observed or made a comment on is the fact that all that passive investment making decision in terms of the stock market it's not based on valuation yes. and that's crazy from an, you know, an investment point of view making decisions that have nothing to do with valuation and what typically happens when you get the majority of flows going to any one particular sector or asset category is that the majority of investors usually have a bad experience from it so my thought process is that passive is actually getting to sort of peak momentum. Um, and now the interesting thing is when you get that sort of domination of flows like TMT back in 2000, it actually distorts asset prices. So if you're an active, genuine long-term investor, it actually throws up or it should throw up more opportunity. Mm -hmm. But for the investment community on a whole, I don't think they realise that they're potentially heading into uh, a suboptimal outcome and one it's going to be because index returns are actually going to be quite low because the, the market overall is, is well valued and if you look at it in the context of a blended portfolio and then you take away fees etc there's not going to be much return left yeah. uh, for the end investors so at a time when you get most or well, a maximum amount of flow into passive is at a time when their future return prospects are the most subdued so it's, it's something to think about. Yeah. There's still a role for passive though, isn't there? There is a role. It's a funny one because um, you know, we've always said, look, if you want to be a successful investor, you have to be doing something different from others. You've got to be active. Mm -hmm. you know, so I've always argued that the best approach is a focused portfolio. Why would you want to own everything? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. You want to own the real anomalies. Now, what's happened though over time is that the industry has turned investing into a process. They've put all these restrictions around fund managers. And so a lot of fund managers are running funds that are effectively index funds in drag. So then if you're going to do that, well, it's obvious you may as well take the real 
thing at a lower fee. Um, so, you know, I, I guess the bottom line is that the industry has created this situation forcing people into passive and it looks though it's a sensible operation and, and for most people, as I say, if you just want general market exposure, take a, pa a passive fund. But if you want to get a bit better than the market uh, and you want to be a genuine investor, you've got to be active. Yeah. So you make an interesting point about how it's a process and stuff and, and, and we've got all this talk going on around you know, robo-advice and technology and stuff and that, that's going to change um, the way the funds management industry operates. What do, you, do you have a sort of a view on? Yes and no, because if you think about um, the first stage of passive was people being indexed plus or minus, what I call index funds in drag. And then people realise, well, if that's what they really are, why are we paying a high fee? Uh, will go to passive. So that whole process, as I say, it's, it's made it very mechanical for a lot of the funds management industry. Well, if you make it very mechanical, you make it very easy for technology mm. to substitute you. So there's all this talk about artificial intelligence and, and robo-advice and all this sort of thing. All it is is an evolution of what the industry is already doing themselves. Uh, but the more mechanical you make it, the more you're going to put yourself out of business. Mm. Whereas Genuine active investors, you know, a lot of it is not just numbers, but it's insight, judgment, intuition. They're the sort of things you can't put into an algorithm or a mechanical process. So I think for us, it's not going to make any difference, but for the middle part of the industry, replace them with a computer. So do you think over time that, you know, there'll be a flow back to active managers? Yeah, uh, I think there will. Uh, personally, I believe that passive is correlated with interest rates. Mm -hmm because we've had a 30-year cycle of lower interest rates, and when interest rates uh, go down, all asset prices go up. Mm -hmm. If you believe we're at an inflection point in interest rates, then the correlations are going to break down, and also you're going to have much more subdued returns from passive investing. And I think what will happen is we'll get three to five years down the track, and everyone will wake up to say, hang on a minute, we're not meeting our investment objectives. And then they'll start going and searching for the active managers, and the trend will start to move back towards active. But as it took a long time for passive to become dominant, it'll take a long time to go back and we'll probably go full circle where everyone will start to embrace in 20 years time that you've got to be active. Yeah, yeah. That's just the way markets work. Uh, they go in cycles and we've seen that. We've both been around long enough to, yeah. to have seen that. Look, thank you very much for your time and, and I hope you enjoy your trip out here in New Zealand. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for watching Good Returns TV. Our next episode will be filmed around the National Advisors Conference in August. Uh, which will be held here in Auckland, and we look forward to bringing it to you then. Enjoy.